morning, River Church. <laughs> so glad you're here today. Uh, let me just uh, fix these real quick. Well, let me start off by asking you a question since we're uh, off on such a fantastic start. Is there anybody in the house who likes Dr. Pepper? Can I get anybody want one? Can you catch, Matt? Can you catch? Joel? You got a little bit better. Any, anybody else want a Dr. Pepper, huh? You banned? You guys want one? Anybody? I'm going to put it right here. Here you go. Let's just, this morning, man, let's just open it up and have a great Dr. Pepper. Look at that. It didn't even spew everywhere. <laughs> got him. <laughs> oh, man. I, don't you love just a good Dr. Pepper, Joel? What do you think about this one? This is pretty good, huh? It's, uh, wait a minute, this isn't Dr. Pepper, is it? What is it? Dr. Thunder. Oh, oh my goodness. So wait, this is, this is really just a cheap imitation of the good stuff, isn't it? Well, how about this? Anybody like uh, nacho cheese Doritos? They're the best. Man, I'm going to throw these. Coming out there, right? Actually, you know what? These aren't nacho cheese Doritos. These are nacho cheese tortillas. Tia chips. That's trash, man. That's, dis- that's trash. That's disgusting. You know what I'm talking about? You ever opened up what you thought was going to be a fantastic Dr. Pepper and it ended up being Dr. Thunder? Anybody, let me ask you this, the question this way. Anybody ever uh, experienced something that they thought was the genuine article and at the end of the day it was just a knockoff? Or maybe it was just a cheap imitation of the real thing? One of my favorite, as a kid, one of my favorite movies or like TV shows, I feel like every TV show had this story at Christmas time where there was like this just toy that all the kids wanted. You know what I'm talking about? There's this toy that all the kids wanted. They had to have it. They put it on the Christmas list and then mom and dad wait until Christmas Eve, right? They wait until Christmas Eve. They go to the store. It's crazy at the store and there's none of that particular toy left. It's like the Tickle Me Elmo, which is just kind of a creepy toy if you think about it, right? Like it's weird. And then there's like just like, there's like this toy that they got to have. They go Christmas Eve. It's not there. And then there's this guy who's like, hey, I got one. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? Has anybody else seen this TV show? You know what I'm talking about? And they're like, come on, meet me on the alley. So they go meet out in this dark alley and then it ends up like giving them this toy. They pay like 200 or 300 bucks for it and they leave and it's like not even close to the genuine article. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever, anybody, anybody ever seen that? I love that. Like what, what I'm trying to say here is that we all have had life experience with cheap imitations of the real thing. In our lives, we've all had an experience with something that's claimed to be the genuine article, like Dr. Thunder. It's actually not that bad. But like Dr. Thunder, something that claimed to be the genuine product, but was really just a fake, really just a knockoff of the real product. And oftentimes in life, what, what I've been thinking about this week is I think that people who aren't Christians or people who are anti-Christian or like we talked about if you were here last week, people who are very resistant on that far end of that scale, super resistant to Christianity, I think one of the reasons why they end up in that camp, probably not the whole reason, but one of the reasons why they end up in that camp is because what they've experienced when it's come to Jesus is not the genuine article. Because they haven't experienced something that's truly Jesus, but what they've experienced 
is the Dr. Thunder of religion. <laughs> it's a cheap imitation of the real thing. And there's probably a variety of reasons why they've had this experience. One might be because they've, you know, encountered a, a church or teaching that had some, that taught maybe some damaging, uh, you know, damaging theology, something that wasn't necessarily biblically accurate, or maybe they've experienced Christians who've hurt them really badly in the name of Jesus by something that wasn't, had nothing to do with Jesus, right? And, and so it leaves them feeling hurt. It leaves them feeling angry. It leaves them feeling like Jesus is something that's fake and not real. And it leaves them, them with some interesting impressions of what we are, of who we are. And I think that if we could, if I could ask you this question this morning, if you could think in your mind of someone that you know or somebody that, that you know who's not a Christian, um, maybe somebody who is pretty resistant to Christianity, what they might think of Christians or how they might describe Christians. Like if you were just in this moment, think in your brain, in your mind of some of the words that they might use, they might say things like really legalistic. They might say things like hateful. They might say things like weak. They might say things like wimpy. They might say things like, all they care about is politics, which in this climate right now is pretty dangerous, isn't it? They might say things like, all they care about is my money. As a matter of fact, I had a friend post something on the internet the other day. He posted a meme, and he, it is this little this circle graph of the, what DJs, bank robbers, and preachers all have in common. It's actually pretty funny. Bank robbers and DJs both say, everybody on the floor... You know what I'm talking about? Preachers say that too. Preachers and DJs say, are you with me? You know, you hear me say that all the time. You're with me? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, 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 yes. All three of them say, put your hands up. Put your hands up. Come on, everybody, put your hands up. But then there's bank robbers and preachers, and what they have in common is they say, give me your money. There's a nervous laughter on that. We're like, can, I, can we laugh at that? Can we laugh at that, Mike? And while that's hilarious, because it is, I mean, I saw that graphic and I immediately text, texted it to Joel. I was like, bro, this is hilarious. At the same time, it breaks my heart because my friend who posted this is a pretty outspoken atheist. And at the end of the day, it's a joke, but it's something that he probably really believes. And it breaks my heart. And these are some words, you know, that, that people would use to describe Christians because of their experience maybe with Christians. And then there's pop culture, which is just rough on Christianity, man, right? Like if you look at some depictions of Christianity or Christians in pop culture, it like, it's kind of, kind of hurts your feelings, man. Like, is there, are there any fans of The Office in here? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Like on The Office, one of the most famous characteristics of Christians on The Office is this girl, Angela. And if you know The Office, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's this girl named Angela on The Office, and she's really the only depiction of Christianity on that TV show. And she's basically seen as this rigid, uptight Christian who's a jerk to everyone. Like, she's just mean to everyone. And probably one of the things that's most hurtful about her is that she pretends like she's better than everybody else while being secretly super immoral. If you know the show, you're, you know what I'm talking about. It stinks, man, that that's how, it's de how we're depicted. And then there's a show, The Big Bang Theory. Anybody ever seen that one? Yeah. There's Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory. He's pretty hilarious. His mom, you know who I'm talking about? 
His mom on the show, she's like seen as this idiot who's just forced religion on him her whole life, who basically has little to no understanding of science. And like, if you know, she's just always like, Shelly, why don't you just love Jesus? And you're like, come on, man. Like she's, it's just, it's just, she's just pushy and annoying. And you're like, ugh. And then there's the most famous depiction of Christians on TV of all time. As a matter of fact, this one's so famous that I know you're going to get it before I even tell you. So somebody, raise your hand and tell me who is the most famous depiction of Christians on TV. Come on. Look, I'm going to entice you. I got a Starbucks gift card for whoever gets this. Somebody. Nobody knows? Who said it? Ned Flanders. Throw it up. Throw it up there. Ned Flanders. It's right here. I'm going to hit you right here. Y'all didn't see that, but it went all the way to the back. (laughs) It went all the way to the back. Ned Flanders, he's like the biggest representation of Christianity on TV for the last, how long has The Simpsons been on? Like 30 years, right? He's, He's the worst. He's wimpy. He's a pushover. He's a nerd. Like, he's the worst, man. Like, you see that guy coming, you're like, ugh. I don't watch The Simpsons, though, because I'm a Christian, so. (laughs) That was a joke because he's a, yeah, you get it? Okay. That's how the world sees Christianity in so many ways. Like, like the thing about humor is that what we do with humor is we use it to make something that we feel is the truth funny right? It's to, it's to like shine a light on a reality that we actually believe in, right? That's why they say people who are sarcastic really mean like 40% of what they say in their sarcasm. Like there's a little bit of truth in it. For me, it's like closer to 90 to 100%. <laughs> Outsiders see us as legalistic. They see us as pretending to be better than them while secretly being just as immoral, if not worse. They see us as being pushy jerks who are also nerds who only care about Give me your money. Doesn't that make you proud? Awesome. But what we know as Christians is that those are just those characterizations of Christianity aren't the real thing, are they? If you're a Christian in here today, as a matter of fact, you know that those characteristics of Christianity are really just cheap imitations of what we who've experienced the life-changing, life-saving power of Jesus Christ to be. And what I would say is that when you actually look at who Jesus is, when you look at the power and the might of who Jesus is, you look at the, the, the character of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, what you see is somebody totally different than the way that it's depicted in pop culture and even in the way that many people would look at Christianity. And so what I want to do just for a little bit of time this morning is I want to look at a couple of stories of Jesus. I want to look at a couple pictures of Jesus and see kind of how some ways that the Bible defines is who he is. And maybe we can see the genuine article from the Dr. Thunder. I got to drink some coffee to get that taste out of my mouth. It's good coffee. Do you guys know we have new river mugs in the hospitality? Go get you one. We're going to start out in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. It says, when the Jewish Passover was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple complex, and he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. And he also found the money changers sitting there. 
After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and oxen, and he also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Jesus is getting a little rowdy right here, isn't he? (laughs) Matter of fact, that's not wimpy Jesus, but what I want you to know is that's not a big temper tantrum either. That's not Jesus losing his cool. What this is, this picture of Jesus is Jesus standing up for the rights of people to worship him. And I know on its face, that seems like a weird thing to say. It seems like he's just going in there, flipping things over, kicking people out. But what's actually going on is during Passover, let me give you, just give us a little bit of context. During Passover, uh, Jews would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, celebrate being set free um, by God from slavery. And so they would have this big feast and they would have sacrifices to God. And what the requirement was, was that you would bring a spotless lamb. You'd bring the best of the best of the best of your livestock and your family. You would sacrifice that to God as a way to kind of repent of sins, as a way to uh, show thanksgiving for what he's done for you. And so what would happen is you have all these people who are traveling from far distances, and so when they're coming from these far distances, they don't necessarily want to bring an animal with them. And so the Jewish leadership set up vendors in the temple as an opportunity for them to come in, purchase an animal to be sacrificed so they don't have to bring something with them from, from far away. And so this in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like this is, this is good. They're, out. they're still paying for the animal. It's still costing them something. But over time, this thing becomes this lucrative business project for these, this Jewish leadership. And what's happening is not only does it become lucrative, they begin to overcharge Jewish people who are coming in to, uh, to sacrifice to God. So they're turning an act of worship into something that they're making money on. So they're overcharging on it. And then they're not even giving up the best animals. They're just kind of giving them anything. And then you're there, like you got to take what you can get. And then there's these guys who are the money changers. And again, they're not really necessarily doing anything bad because what they're doing is taking uh, foreign currency and changing it over to the currency that they would be using in Jerusalem. So it's, it's not even really a bad thing. I mean, they're making money on it, on interest and, and things like that. But what happens is over time, it becomes corrupt in a way to make money, not just money, but a lot of money off of something that was supposed to be a response to what God had done for them. It was supposed to be an act of worship in their hearts and thanksgiving in their hearts. And so this upsets Jesus. He's defending people who are being taken advantage of. But what's interesting about this story is that that's not even the main reason why Jesus got upset. That's not even the main reason why Jesus got upset. Because what's going on here is where these people are set up, these kind of vendors, if you can imagine kind of a marketplace and vendors selling animals and then the chain of corns, was not actually in like the the house of worship area, if that makes sense. It wasn't like in the worship area, but it was in the corridor that was outside of that. And that area was really big. It was like, some people estimate about three football fields big. So that's a, you're talking about a pretty massive area. And so what's going on is you have this massive area where all these vendors are set up. There's, there's all this trade happening and all these things going on, which seems like good. That's a good thing, right? But what happens is you have these people who are called Gentiles. And a Gentile somebody is anybody who's not a Jew. And so you have these Gentiles who, while they weren't born a Hebrew or Jew by birth, had essentially come to the Jewish faith over time. 
And so they come to the Jewish faith, and this area outside of the temple complex, this quarter, is the space that they're allowed to come and worship God. And it was kind of a weird rule because they weren't Hebrew by blood. They couldn't go all the way, and they had to stay in this area. But this was their space to worship. And so what's going on is because of the greed and the vendors, they're setting up outside the temple and it's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And over time, what's happened is because of these vendors and because of their greed, they have pushed out the Gentiles who are coming in to worship during this time. And so during this, this feast of Passover, the only people who are able to come in and worship and meet with God essentially are Jewish people, born Jewish people, Hebrews by birth. And anybody who's a Gentile is totally pushed out. They're not able to come in and worship. They're not able to come in and experience God. They're not able to come in and pray. And this ticks Jesus off. Like this makes his blood boil. This makes him mad. And it says, if, if you remember the text, it says he makes a whip. Like, man, I've, Katie and I have had some fights before. Like, I've gotten mad at people before. Like, I've gotten arguments before. But I've never created a weapon <laughs> in anger. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus. And I wonder how he made the whip. Like, did he, did he you know, get the cords together? Did he just go, whip? And it's just there. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's Jesus. You know, he can turn water into wine. He can create a whip out of air. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's going to be scary. <laughs> but he creates a whip. He kicks them out, and then he does this interesting thing. If we were to read on, actually, it's in one of the other Gospels uh, stories of this. But if we were to read on, he quotes from the Old Testament that says, the Hebrew people are supposed to be the light of the world, the hope of the world, shining their light to the entire world that they would see God and come to God. And what he's essentially saying is by doing what you're doing, not only are you not being the light of the world, but you're making it even harder for people to come and experience me. You're making it even harder for people to come in and find and meet with God. And so, yeah, Jesus is upset because people are being taken advantage of, but he's really, really, really upset because there's literally people on the outside who want to come in and worship God, and they can't because of what that place has been turned into. And so he creates a whip. He kicks everyone out, out and he says, this is a place where people find me. And not just the special people, not just the privileged people, not just the people who were born into it by birth, but all people. Because you see, we have a God, we have a Savior who cares about all people. Not just the special people, not just the people who've been in the Christian faith for generations, not just the people who were born in the right areas or the right color or the right economic status. We have a God who deeply cares about all people. And he deeply cares about all people's opportunity to come in and experience him. And we have a God who's about breaking down barriers so that all people can come and meet him. That's who our God is. That's who our God is. How about this depiction of Jesus? John chapter eight, verses one through 11. Actually, I'm gonna start it too. It says, at dawn, he went to the temple complex again and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began to teach them. Just like Joel was talking about, man, Jesus teaching people just gotta come. 
Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and making her stand in the center. Can you imagine that? They catch this woman in sin and they come and make her stand in the center of this place where Jesus is teaching. And they said to him, this woman was caught in an act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they asked this to trap him in order that they might find evidence to accuse him. Notice in the text, it says that this was a woman who was caught in adultery. Like the Jewish leaders, they weren't walking in and going, oh no, what's she doing? We got to take her to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like they didn't just happen upon this lady having an affair. It says they caught her in adultery. They literally, they set a trap for this woman. They knew what she was doing. They knew what she was caught up in and they set a trap so that they could catch her in the act. And what makes this even worse is notice they bring her and not the guy too, just her, which makes this even more twisted. And they're doing this in order to try to catch Jesus, to condemn Jesus, because technically the law says that she should be killed because of this action. And what they want to do is force Jesus to say that she should die. They want to force Jesus to say that she should die. And so in front of Jesus, they take this woman while he's teaching a crowd of people. They take her in her shame and sin. stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, and only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Could you imagine what she must be feeling in that moment? Like a woman who's been caught in not just sin, but one of the most embarrassing sins right? Just caught and, you know, just bare, caught, busted. She has no defense. She has no hope. I mean, they're bringing her to Jesus and she knows she's about to die. And then she looks up and every single person is gone and standing in front of her is the only person in the history of the world who has the right to condemn her. And he says, neither do I condemn you go and from now on do not sin anymore. The religious leaders brought her to Jesus to die and it's literally the law that she should die. And instead, Jesus says, I don't condemn you. He offers her forgiveness and then he offers her something even, well, something incredible in and of itself. He offers her a fresh start. He offers her a new beginning where he says, lay this down look forward, go and sin no more. Let this be behind you. Let's be done with this. I'm not going to bring it up again. I'm not going to throw it in your face. I'm not going to condemn you with it. I'm saying face forward, get up, go and sin no more. And not only does he not condemn her, 
but he condemns everyone else who had just brought her and threw her in front of him. See, this picture of Jesus that we see is a picture of a kind, loving, and forgiving God, a Jesus who's willing to stand up to the institution on behalf of the weak and taken advantage of. And here's what I want us to see, especially if this is you today, he stands up even on behalf of this woman who is literally there because of her own sin. Like what I'm saying is it's her fault that she's in the situation. Yeah, they caught her and that was twisted and messed up that they trapped her. Like that was wrong, okay? But she was still choosing to take place in this act that technically by the law said that she should die. You understand what I'm saying? And yet even though she fully deserved this punishment, Jesus stands up for her and Jesus fights for her and Jesus offers her new life and freedom. And if you're a Christian here today, that's the exact same thing that he did for you. And that's the exact same thing that we should offer to everyone else that we come in contact with because that is what Jesus has done for us. And so what we see is not a depiction of a judgmental, hateful, legalistic God, but a God who deeply loves you, a God who deeply uh, offers you a way out of your sin, out of the things that are killing you, a God who says, even though I know your sin, I know you at your depths, let me offer you new life and freedom from the things that are holding you down, that are strangling you. And if you're, here to, if you're here today and that's you today, let me just tell you clearly, he offers that to you today. He offers you that new life. He offers you that fresh start. He offers you that freedom from condemnation today. And I'm afraid that the world out there, so many people don't see that Jesus. Don't you want them to? Don't you want them to know that truth? Don't you want them to have that experience of that life-changing God? And then there's the crucifixion of Jesus. The last thing that we look at today. Beaten, abused, tortured, murdered by professional killers. (laughs) Literally at this point in history, he's murdered by Roman soldiers who are the best well-trained professional killers of their time. And they take Jesus and they torture him and they beat him and they mock him. And what's, what's interesting is I've seen people make fun of Jesus for this. Like he was weak for this. And I would say, man, I wholeheartedly disagree with this because the fact that Jesus was abused and tortured and mocked doesn't display his weakness. To me, it displays his strength. And here's what I mean by that because at any moment in time, like you hear, you've heard it said that Jesus could call 10,000 angels at his right and left hand and just, you know, whatever. Like, no, he could do that, but Jesus could just kill them all. Like Jesus, I mean, we're talking about a God who walked up to a lame man who couldn't walk and said, get up. You're talking about a God who looked at water and said, be wine. <laughs> You're talking about a God who looked at a blind man and go, see, let me just rub some mud on it for effect. I don't even need this. Let me just, let's just have fun with it. Let me get your face dirty. Like you don't think Jesus could just go, Everybody dead. I do. I don't know how accurate that is, but I do. And yet what we see is not a God who does that. (laughs) But as they torture him and mock him and abuse him, they are mocking a lion who at any moment could rip off their heads. And yet he withholds all of his power with this incredible restraint because this lion had a mission 
And his mission was to reach into the depths of death and pull you out. Motivated by love and passion, this line endures suffering and pain and in doing so pulls you out from the grasp of hell and the grave. And then three days later, raises himself from the dead. You see, when the world looks at Jesus, they see Ned Flanders, but that's because they don't know the real thing. That's because they've experienced a cheap imitation of the truth. And Jesus is the all-powerful king of kings who loves all, cares for all, offers life to all, and is no weak-willed pushover chasing after your money, but he is the strong and mighty Lion of Judah who in his strength and in his power has snatched us from the grave. That is who our God is. That is the same God who is transforming you and I. That is the same God who is sanctifying you and I. That is the same God who is saving souls today. That very same God transforms people and saves souls and lives all over the world that we may not be cheap imitations of the truth, but that we may be imitators of the God, of God, for all the world to see, that we may point people to him. In Christianity, we've got some black eyes. We've made some mistakes. We're going to make some mistakes. We're going to do some stupid things. And there's going to be some people who represent us who don't really represent us. But even in spite of all that, I still believe that the church and Christianity is the hope of the world. Matter of fact, Matthew 5 says something really cool. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous sermon of all time. And this huge crowd gathers and Jesus begins to teach and preach and starting in verse 13, he says, you, Christians, talking to Christians, are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? Is it no longer good for anything else but to be thrown out and trampled on by men? You, again, speaking to Christians, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. I know we just took a left turn here, but what I want you to see is that we've just talked about who Jesus is, and then Jesus flips it back on us, and he says, you, Christian, are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he says, let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let people see you. Let your light shine by your good works, by your good deeds. What does he mean by that? By the way you love people, by the way you care for the, for the weak, the way that you're incredibly generous, by the way you live your life, the way, let your light shine so that people would see the way you live your life, your literally your good deeds, And as they see your good deeds, they're going to go, why in the world is he doing that? And as they see that, as they see how you're transformed, as they see how you're changed, they see how you live your life, as they examine you, that is going to direct them, that's going to point them to Jesus. And in doing so, they see the genuine article. In doing so, they see the real thing, that they would look at your life and see how God has transformed it 
And because of that, they're gonna see Jesus. They're gonna see the real Jesus, the true Jesus, not some cheap imitation, but a life-saving, life-transforming God who cares for all, a God who picks you up out of the depths and says, forget the past, go and sin no more. Let me set you free, a God who says, I've given all to save you from death, hell, and the grave. That's who we want to be. And so I'm telling you all of this because I want you to understand why we do 10 for 1 Sunday. Next week is 10 for 1 Sunday, and that entire day is based on this right here. This idea right here. And you say, if you're new here today, you're going, what in the world is he talking about? 10 for 1 Sunday. 10 for 1 Sunday is a day where for every person here at the River Church, we're giving $10 away. We're not asking you for money. We're giving $10 to a fund that we're creating to bless the teachers here at this school. Last year, it was our first year doing it. We um, renovated the teacher's lounge. It was an awesome day. And then also, we're starting off a four-week series called Change Your World, where every week, don't miss a week of that series because every single week, I'm giving you something to give away. It's going to be awesome. But the entire motivation behind that day is that with the resources that we have as a church, with the things that God has given us as a church, that we might be a part of, in some small way, blessing and changing the world that we exist in, the world around us, by our good works, by our good deeds as a church, that they would in turn look at us and then see Jesus. That we would be a group of people who've been placed in a school Right, like we showed up here, this was not our idea to be at this elementary school. We probably thought it was at some point, but God was working way ahead of time on that one. Right? Like sometimes you show up somewhere and you're like, oh, I'm proud of myself. And God's like, hey, right, you thought you got yourself here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what we want to be is a church and a group of people who've been placed in here in this school and we want to be a blessing to them. We want to serve them. We want to love them. We want Whitley Road Elementary School to at the end of the day go, man, our school is so different, so much different, so much better because the River Church meets here. Like we don't want to be a, just a church that uses this place, use these facilities and then are gone without a trace. We want to be a church that leaves a mark on this place that leads people to Jesus. And so what I want to ask you to do is with all of this understanding, I want to ask you to get behind this event. I want to ask you to sacrifice. I want to ask you to serve next week. I want to ask you to be generous. And I want to ask you to promote, 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 and get people here. And you go, oh, why? So we can get a whole bunch of people here? Yes. Yes. You got it. I'm not lying to you. I'm not trying to trick you. Yeah, we want to pack this place out. But hopefully with all that background, you understand why we want to pack this place out. Not so we can go, hey, look, we got a whole bunch of people here. That's great. No, but so a whole bunch of people will come in this place and maybe understand Jesus a little bit differently. Maybe walk in, and, and I'm hoping that you're slick enough and sly enough to invite some people who maybe are a little resistant to Jesus. Maybe some people who are a little jaded by Jesus. And they walk in here, and because they come in this space and they see a church that's not asking you for a bunch of church, but a bunch of stuff, but saying, hey, we want to be a blessing to this place. We want to use all the resources we have to help change the world around us however we can, that maybe just in some small way, they begin to view Jesus differently. 
And as that begins to shift the way they see Jesus and the Holy Spirit begins to work on their heart and their mind and it shapes them and changes them that maybe down the road they get changed a little bit more and they become more open to Jesus and more open to Jesus and more open to Jesus. And then maybe one day it's your friend that you invited to 10 for one Sunday is giving their life to Jesus. And it started with an invite to 10 for one Sunday where they begin to see Jesus just a little bit differently. Where they went from seeing the cheap imitation to the genuine article. And so that's what we want to do. That's who we want to be. We want, at the core of our church, we want everything we do to be about connecting people with Jesus, to help you know him, to help you find freedom in him, to help you find purpose in him, and to help your life make a difference with him. To know who he is and what he cares about, we want to imitate him and we want to help you light it up, baby. We want to help you shine. And so what I ask you to do this week is to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You know the song. I'm not going to sing it because I would hurt you. I want you to let it shine. I want you to be a generous believer, a generous Christian. I want people to see the real thing, the genuine article in your life. And don't think that the genuine article means perfection. Because perfection, when we put on a facade of perfection, oftentimes that is the most fake thing we could put out there. You understand what I'm saying? So let people see the genuine article. A person struggling is still true, like can still show people Jesus, as long as you're struggling towards Jesus and not struggling away from Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? And then I want you to get everyone you know here next week so we can do our best as a church to let it shine, to show people the true life-saving Jesus that we all know in our own lives. Father, I love you. Thank you for who you are today. God, I, I thank you that we get to do this, God. This is so, this is so much fun, God. I thank you that, that you've come in our own lives and you've saved us and you've transformed us and you are healing us and you are calling us to something that's bigger than ourselves, God. And so today I want to pray for everyone in here. I want to pray for everyone who's going to be filling these seats next week. That as we come in this space and we bring people in this place, that, that there would be not just, I mean, we want to get everybody here, but God, that there wouldn't just be bodies and seats, but it would be people who are seeking, people who are hungry, people who don't even know they're hungry, but people who are looking for something. We pray that as they come in this space, they find you. We pray that they come this as they come in this space, as we do our best as a church to shine, to shine for you, that they would come in here and that as they see what you have going on here at the river, that they would then be directed back to you and that their lives would be changed because they've experienced the real thing. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to encourage you this morning as the band's going to play to spend some time as we worship together to pray for people that might be coming with you next week or just maybe not even people that you might be bringing with you, but just for these seats and who's going to be here next week. And then I want to finally, I want to say this, man, if you're here this morning and you're going, Mike, you know that person you've been talking about that's been a little jaded or that person that has experienced the fake imitation and not the real Jesus, but today I want to experience the real Jesus. I want to find him. I want to let you know that he's here. I want to let you know that he loves you. I want to let you know that he cares for you and that you can find him and experience him today. And so if that's you, I would encourage you to take this time and pray to him and ask him, say, God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. 
I want to give my life to you and be changed and transformed by you. And if that's you today, man, do that. And, and I want you to know I'm right down here. If you want to come and pray with me, talk with me, please, please, please do that, okay? All right, I love you. Thank you.